Join with me in prayer as we begin. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for the uh, uh, confidence and assurance that we have in your promises and your grace, your faithfulness, and the hope that you hold forth for us uh, in the future, that you have promised us great things in your word, and we pray that you would teach and instruct us by your word uh, this day and during this time of study, that we might be built up in true faith and hope, uh, that we might rejoice in the, the joy of your salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we've been looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we're actually approaching the end. Uh, we have two chapters before us, so we'll look at the second to last chapter today, uh, chapter 32. And as might be appropriate, at the end of a confession of faith, we get to last things, uh, what is called eschatology, uh, the study of last things. Now, there's a lot of parts of eschatology that are not addressed in the confession of faith. Um, it, there's, uh, it, what it puts its focus on are things that are more fundamental, less controversial, uh, there might be other aspects of eschatology that might be sprinkled through the Westminster Standards that we could find, um, but it doesn't uh, take a particular millennial position. Of course, that terminology would really develop after the Westminster Confession of Faith itself, although uh, it could be argued that it's uh, not premillennial in the sense that it says that there is one uh, day of resurrection for the righteous and the wicked after which comes the judgment, uh, which I would find hard to fit in that scheme of um, premillennialism. But uh, in any case, what it, what it puts its focus on are the state of men after death, the resurrection of the dead, and the last judgment. Um, and these are great and important doctrines of the faith. We confess some of these things in the in the creed, you know, that we look for the coming of, of Christ to judge the living of the dead, that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Um, these are, are doctrines that are clearly taught in Scripture, uh, that we believe and therefore have hope, uh, hope in death, hope for uh, the future, and hope for our future in particular. So today we look at of the state of men after death and of the resurrection of the dead. I'll go ahead and read Article 1. The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, have, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserving, reserved to the judgment of that great day. Besides these two places, for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledgeth none. So let's break this down piece by piece. First thing that it uh, asserts is that the bodies of men, after death, return to dust 
and see corruption. Uh, Of course, this is a truth that we find very early on in Scripture. Death entered the world through sin. That in Adam's sin, death came upon as a a sentence uh, from God in Genesis 3.15. Uh, we find it said, no, not 315, 3.17 through 19. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so all mankind came under this sentence of death and uh, a death that was not merely physical, but certainly was physical and involved corruption, a return to the dust from which man was made. Now, it's still appointed all men to die. We find that in Hebrews, for example. But of course, the death of the believer and the death of the unbeliever are different, but both die. Uh, The larger catechism comments on this in 84, shall all men die? Yes, it's appointed all men once to die. But then it says, death being the wages of sin, why are not the righteous delivered from death, seeing all their sins are forgiven in Christ? Why do the redeemed still die if death came into the world because of sin. Well, it answers by saying the righteous shall be delivered from death itself at the last day, and even in death are delivered from the sting and curse of it, so that although they die, yet it is out of God's love to free them perfectly from sin and misery, and to make them capable of further communion with Christ in glory, which they then enter upon. So, one part of the answer is, wait. You know, there is a victory over death, but it will be worked out in time. And as 1 Corinthians 15 says, death is the last enemy to be destroyed. And so that release from corruption, that release from death, is something that will take place on the last day. But even the experience of death is transformed because the sting and power of death, the condemnation of the law, the the sentence of the law against sin, that has been removed, and it it turns into a a transfer of the believer uh, to uh, further communion with Christ in glory. Uh, And so it's a a different... um, thing than what the unbeliever experiences. But in both cases, it's not the way the world was meant to be. In both cases, it's something that we want to be undone. Death is still the believer's enemy, uh, even though God works through this evil for the believer's good. So it's still appropriate to, to mourn death, uh, even as we also have hope uh, in the midst of it. And in fact, this is where the confession goes. After uh, speaking of death, it also speaks not only of the body, but of the soul. So the bodies uh, see corruption, but they are souls which neither die nor sleep. So the, di- the soul does not go out of existence when you die. 
Neither does the soul sleep in the sense that it doesn't have consciousness um, during that time. That was a doctrine that some uh, proposed uh, during the time of the Reformation, perhaps at other times too. The language of sleep is applied to death, but that's because the bodies, as it were, sleep to arise again, not because the souls them, you know, sleep. Um, different analogy being used. So that the souls having an immortal subsistence, not that they've always existed, not a platonic view here, but that God created them to last and live forever, they immediately return to God who gave them. Uh, Ecclesiastes says this in Ecclesiastes 12, 7, in speaking of death, in a very, you know, more extended passage, which I'm not going to read all of it, Uh, But speaking of death as the time in which the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And so the the body uh, returns to uh, the earth, but the spirit, which is another word for the soul, spirit and soul, synonymous words there, uh, returns to God who gave it. God gave us the breath of life. Uh, He gives us animation, that, that life, that we might be a living being, even before we uh, breathe, you know, that uh, the, the spirit is given to us, but it returns to God. And what does God do with the soul? Well, the souls of the righteous are made then perfect in holiness, that sanctification is completed. Uh, Hebrews twelve twenty three speaks of the souls of righteous the souls of the righteous made perfect, or souls of the just made perfect, who are there in the city of God with the angels and with God and with Christ, uh, that they are made perfect, and they are received into the highest heavens. How do we know that? Well, because Scripture says that we will be with Christ. And where is Christ? Uh, He is in the highest heavens. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, which is somewhat of a metaphorical uh, uh, phrase, but it is a location because his body is a physical uh, thing that it is in a certain place uh, that is in heaven, and that is where we will be, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. I can think of Revelation's visions of the, the souls of those who had been slain who uh, continue to wait for the full uh, pouring out of God's plan that continue to. Uh, to pray for that, not that they're necessarily aware of what's going on on earth, but they are waiting for the, the full outworking of God's plan. But in the meantime, in Revelation 7, it speaks of those who had come out of the tribulation, who had died, that therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Um, Paul speaks of the state of the soul after death, both in Philippians and Second Corinthians, as being with Christ. It's, it's good to, to depart and to be with Christ. He says, it's good for me to be with you for your sake, to do good, so I'm content, you know, to continue here. But if God takes me, that it is gain uh, to die, for I will depart to be with Jesus. And so we can commit our souls to the Lord with confidence when we die. 
Uh, what did Jesus do when, when he died? You know, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. What did Stephen do when he was dying? Lord, uh, into your hands I commit my spirit, both using language found in Psalm 31.5. Well, that's what happens to the souls of the righteous, but the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of that great day. Um, in Luke chapter 16, uh, we have a very vivid vision in Christ's parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And in verses 23 through 24, well, starting in verse 22, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, later on in the parable, he still speaks of his brothers still living. So this is not a, a, the final state. This is the intermediate state uh, after death uh, that he is in Hades and in torment uh, as one who had uh, not uh, believed, uh, who had uh, been unrepentant, and unlike the, the poor man uh, who had been at his gate. Now, besides these two places, uh, for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledgeth none. In other words, scripture does not teach the existence of a place like purgatory, which is uh, something that the Roman Catholics uh, taught and had developed slowly over time as kind of a, a speculative thing that became uh, a doctrine that was taught that, that souls are not made perfect in holiness at death, but rather, you know, the process is going to continue, which to me seems like it would conflict with the doctrine of the resurrection, like what happens to the souls of the dead that haven't completed purgatory when the resurrection happens. You know, there seems to be um, some disconnect there. But there's other problems. The main one is that it's just not taught in Scripture. Uh, and Scripture is the rule of faith and life. That's where we get our doctrines from. Uh, and we could say a lot more about how that's tied with other errors that are taught uh, by the Roman Catholic Church. So the state of men after death, uh, the intermediate state, heaven and hell, uh, for the souls and the bodies resting in their graves. Uh, any questions on this article? Yes. Right. So we'll probably get to that. Um, but yeah, there, there is a, a, a change, certainly at Christ's return, because there's new heavens and the new earth. Um, and so um, both heavens and earth are, are altered at that time. But we're completely glorified even before he returns? We're not completely glorified because we don't have our bodies, certainly. Right. So we are waiting for the full redemption of our bodies. And so all creation, in fact, is groaning with that expectation of that day. Uh, so, yes, it's, it's not done yet. That's not the final state. It's the intermediate state. But it's still better than this state. Yeah. But it's not as good as the final state. Thank you. Uh, let's go ahead to Articles 2 and 3, which I'm going to read together because they're short and they go together, about the resurrection of the dead. At the last day, such as are found alive shall not die, but be changed. 
And all the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies, and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. The bodies of the unjust shall, by the power of Christ, be raised to dishonor, the bodies of the just by his spirit unto honor, and be made conformable to his own glorious body. So, there is a final day of this age, and on that day Christ shall return. Uh, We'll get to more of that in the next chapter. But on that day, those who are found alive will be changed. Those who are dead will be raised. There's several passages that we can go to. One is in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 5, Jesus speaks both of a spiritual resurrection and a physical resurrection. Um, In Revelation, I think this is referred to as the first resurrection, the second resurrection, um, similar to the the first death, the second death. Uh, In in chapter 5, the first resurrection being regeneration, being born again. Um, In verse 25, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So only those who hear will live. This is speaking of uh, some people, not all people, even now in the present, are born again to new spiritual life by the word of Christ, and embrace it by faith in our new creations. But then he says in verses 28 through 29, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So now it's not speaking just of some people, but of all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. They'll come out of their what? Tombs. So we're talking about their bodies, right? Not their souls. Their souls don't live in their tombs. Their bodies do. They're going to come out of their tombs, and they are those who have done good and done evil. So it's one resurrection, one hour, that is not here yet, that's coming, that includes both the, the good and the evil, but they're both, and they're both raised from the dead, but they go to two different resurrections. One is a resurrection of life, and the other is a resurrection of judgment, that both in body and soul they will suffer judgment, whereas those who have done good will be raised to glory, will be made incorruptible, uh, will partake Uh, in the glory with Christ, and we'll have a resurrection of life. Now, this idea of a general resurrection was already uh, held during the time of Christ by uh, Jews, such as the Pharisees. Uh, The Sadducees denied it. The Pharisees affirmed it um, based on what they understood from the Old Testament. And so, when Paul was speaking uh, before Felix... He said, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So he's pointing out what he holds in common, that I believe all the Old Testament, and I also believe, like these Pharisees over here, that there will be a resurrection, which includes both the just and the unjust. 
Now, what was unique about the Christian proclamation compared to the Pharisees is that it would be Christ, the, the guy who walked on earth, you know, Jesus Christ, who would be the one who would both raise the dead and then judge the dead, and, and in him would those people who were to be blessed be blessed, and it was those who believed in Christ that would be um, raised to the resurrection of life. 1 Corinthians 15 is too long for us to to read here, but of course that is the major chapter on the doctrine of the resurrection, that it's based on Christ's resurrection. His resurrection is the ground of the believer's resurrection to life and glory. Uh, That if we are not raised to deny the resurrection of the believer is implicitly to deny the resurrection of Christ, which is a fundamental of the gospel. So it's, it's a major error then to deny the resurrection, physical, bodily, future resurrection of the Christian, which some people still do today. Uh, there's the doctrine of, of that's called full preterism or hyper preterism, that some people believe that, uh, that there isn't a future bodily resurrection of Christ, and that would be uh, a major error that denies a, a fundamental doctrine of the faith. Uh, but... Paul explains this, uh, that it's uh, rooted in Christ's resurrection, that death is the last enemy that he will destroy as uh, the mediatorial king, and that this mortal body will put on immortality. You don't get a new body. You get the self-same body, the, the, the same body, although it will have different qualities. It will be changed. It will... Um, no longer be a, an animal body, but a spiritual body, which doesn't mean a non-physical body, uh, but it will be adapted to the final state and will be glorified, incorruptible, immortal, imperishable, you know, words that Paul uses. Um, it will be restored and uh, glorified. And that all will take place at Christ's coming. Uh, there will be a, a time... Um, and one resurrection of the dead at his coming. Not like one resurrection, and then there's you know, several years pass, and then another resurrection, and then a millennium happens, and then another resurrection. You know, he, he comes, and at his coming, this takes place. Um, one more text, again, primarily looking at the resurrection of the believer. Philippians 3. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Paul writes, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So again, what's what is the body that we'll have? It's our lowly body, or our, our vile body, as some translations put it, our, our present body, but it will be transformed. It will be restored from the dust. You know, there's, there's, uh, it will not only be restored, though, it will be made like his glorious body, that will participate in Christ's glory, uh, even as he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is there now, and he's going to come back to earth, and at that point, uh, we will be raised and transformed by his power. So, any questions about the resurrection of the dead? Yes? What's also 
A soul, that's a good question. A soul is like the non-physical part of you. Uh, it's, it's the part of you that's not part of your body, and it uh, gives you life. And uh, you can think of uh, it as, yeah, that, that part of you that's not physical, that continues to live after your bodily death. Now, we might not even be that aware of our soul if we didn't die. Um, but because we know that we continue to exist after death, uh, that we have a better awareness of the existence of the soul. But even if not, you think of how God created Adam, that he made Adam from the dust of the earth. But the, it was more than that, right? He also breathed into him the breath of life. And so there's this immaterial aspect of man too that, that enlivens him. Um, and often it's compared to breath because most of the time breathing and living is, is the same. It's not always the same, the, the, the unborn child in the womb or, you know, someone who stops breathing for a minute and you have to revive them. Um, but generally speaking, the soul is kind of compared to wind or spirit because you can't see it. You know, it's, uh, it's not material, yet it's there and it moves things just as the soul enlivens uh, the, the body. Animates the body. Yes. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of interaction with, like, the brain and, and the body and some of those things, but the conscience, the, the will, the, uh, the, the mind, uh, that these things would be aspects of, uh, or, you know, aspects of the soul. Reason. And so, God has made us as body and soul, and this was designed to be a unity. Death separates them. Um, but when God redeems us, you don't, he doesn't just save your soul. Um, he saves you body and soul. Uh, some people can only try to save your body. You know, a, a soldier might protect your body, but he's not going to necessarily save your soul. But God saves both your body and your soul. Your body's still going to die, but he will raise it up from the dead. Uh, Jesus will miraculously heal all his people, just not right now. Uh, he'll destroy death on the last day and save you both body and soul that you might be with him forever in the new heavens, in the new earth, the new creation. The bodies of believers are not neglected by God. They're not cast away like useless husks or prisons of the soul, although in their present state they can sometimes feel like it. But presently, even in the present, Christ is united to you body and soul so that your bodies are members of Christ, members of his body. Your bodies have been freed by Christ from the mastery of sin and have been made instruments for righteousness, just as they were instruments of sin in the past. So when you die, your body will still be united to Christ, even though it see corruption and rest in the grave. It will rest in its grave as if it is a bed, while the graves of the wicked will be as if a prison. While the body will see corruption and return to dust, yet when Christ returns, it will be restored, glorified, reunited with your soul, that you might dwell with God in that fully restored and glorified condition forever. And so as a Christian, you can, with hope and confidence, commit yourself, body and soul, to the Lord and to his keeping.
So this is to be our, our hope and trust, Christ, right, as the Savior of, of us. Let's go ahead and close in prayer then. Dear Father, we thank you for your kindness to us and your mercy towards us, seeing that we had brought upon ourselves the curse of death, of misery in this life, of death and corruption, and the miseries of hell forever, that by your Son you have restored us to new and living life, even in the present, that we might live to you and serve you and, and bear good fruit in love and righteousness with body and soul, and that you have also given us hope even in, in death, that we might be with you and your Son, Christ Jesus, and that we might have this hope of the life of the world to come, the resurrection of the dead, for which all creation groans with expectation. Uh, we pray that you would... Uh, Continue to bring your kingdom uh, here to extend it and advance it, and that you might hasten that kingdom of glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.